You're listening to This Thing We Call Art, a podcast about how I can figure out a way not to become a cold, hard person. I'm your host, Kelly Lloyd, a visual artist, essayist, and educator currently based in the UK. I've been interviewing people in the arts about their livelihood since 2017, and today you're going to hear a conversation I had on the 1st of February, 2021, with Dominique White. Dominique White is a sculptor who recently relocated to Marseille after the first COVID wave in 2020. She's been working nomadically since, forfeiting her London studio at the beginning of the pandemic, and has since pondered how working nomadically has changed her health and her practice. Her practice is positioned within the theories of Black subjectivity, Afro-pessimism, and hierarchy from below, as a space that she defines as the shipwrecked. Recent and upcoming exhibitions include The Cinders of the Wreck at Triangle France, Marseille, 2022, Hydra de Capita at Veda Firenze, Florence, 2021, Techno Worlds at the Art Quarter Budapest, commissioned by Goethe Institute, 2021, and Blackness and Democracy's Graveyard at UKS, Oslo, 2021. She was awarded the Ad Aukikuzi Prize by Fondation Merz in 2021, and the Roger Palehouse Prize in 2019 in conjunction with her solo presentations with Veda Firenze, and has received awards from Art Angel UK and the Henry Moore Foundation UK in 2020. White was in residency at Sagrada Mercancia, Chile, Triangle France Astadid, and Lebec, Switzerland in 2020 and 2021. I met Dominique through a mutual friend, Eva, and I was lucky to see her a couple of times before I got busy with my paid work and she moved to Marseille. Our conversation was two hours long, and while I wish I could share it with you in its entirety, today you'll listen to excerpts from it. I'm going to drop you in at the beginning. Why were you in Italy? Uh, I was just producing a work for a collector uh, and then installed this work in the collector's house. That's also why I'm quite <laughs> dead because for like the last, like, I think, three, or three days of it, I didn't really sleep. Um, yeah, it was fun. It was one of the first times I've actually like properly done that, uh, but also in such a condensed time. Originally, it was supposed to be like, I think it was supposed to be like two weeks that I was supposed to have, but we were a bit paranoid about uh, obviously traveling during coronavirus. Was this commission postponed or was it just kind of like condensed? It was postponed and condensed. It was supposed to happen last April. So like literally after I was, or was it March? Pretty much like two days after I was supposed to have originally got back from Chile, I was literally supposed to straight away go to Italy, spend two weeks doing this commission and then come to France. But obviously, Italy was, like, in the thick of the first wave. Uh, so I brought, like, the some of the materials. So, like, the, like, netting needles, like, fully loaded with, like, the twine that I need to weave. Uh, I brought part of a sail in my suitcase because we couldn't remember. Basically, I've produced, like, in, in the gallery's basement for, like, months. <laughs> like, in 2019. So there's, like, relics of, like previous works like scattered everywhere so I couldn't remember what was there and like neither could he because he's like cleaned it out um so I brought some of those bits but then I had uh like a, a huge like double pronged hook fabricated uh ready for me basically to work on which was really nice yeah that kind of way of making which is yeah everything in my suitcase and then half of it there make it all there and then yeah, come back pretty much. 
do you have anyone to help you with it or do you just do everything at the moment i do everything myself but this year i will be taking on an assistant at some point i haven't quite worked out when because my schedule keeps changing and it's really uh. <laughs> but uh yeah it's been a long time coming but it's always been like a problem of funding um because I couldn't not pay someone and I also want to pay someone like a more than decent wage um yeah in, in France it's very like normal for you to just take on a student for free for like three months and I'm just like I can't I can't do that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's really normal in the U.S. also especially for like professors just to like have a a like free student so you like how so is this all through your gallery in Florence and like when did you mm -hmm. start working with that gallery and like do you like working with them and and like how did you meet them initially okay so officially um, so like the way that I came into contact with them was through one of their other artists that they have on their books called Emily Jones, who's also a British artist, who basically was showing uh, a gallerist a whole bunch of like different artists and their works. So she was trying to like broaden uh, the gallery's kind of like outreach and also like subject matter. Uh, so that happened in like December 2018 was like the first contact we had. And then I went out there in January 2019 yeah, that's right. Uh, to like go through the, one of their private views of one of the other artists. Um, and then I did my first show in March of that year. And then, yeah, we did two art fairs that year as well. We did Artorama and Paris International in France. Um, but then also I did a whole bunch of production with them. Uh, I really like working with them. Uh, they're only like a two-person team. Um, but they're super cute. They're super, super sweet and really supportive. Um, I mean, it's something that I'm learning more and more how to kind of like work with them in the way that they want to work with their artists, but also actually realizing that I don't have to do everything by myself. Um, like, for example, they tend to help me with parts of production if it's like, same with this like metal hook. It's like I have a producer just outside of Florence that I love using, but he's like probably nearly 17, doesn't speak any English. So, uh, they kind of do that communication as long as I have like all the information needed um, but yeah no I'm super happy to work with them because especially like with this year with like my schedule and the kind of ambitious works that I'm proposing to make with like various people that kind of support really helps um, I don't really know how they do it to be honest because yeah, I'm not the only busy artist that they have on their books. And if they are that, like, kind of committed to, like, each of our projects, yeah, fair play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they your only gallery who you work with consistently? Like, did you always know that you wanted a gallery? This is the thing. I think there are different types of galleries uh, that I did also wasn't completely aware of, like, admittedly I was very suspicious of this gallery at first just because actually rewind I never wanted a gallery to be honest I hated the idea of selling work hence why my work is so difficult um 
and like there will always be that layer of difficulty uh even if i start making indifferent like materials or whatever works will always be difficult whether that's like scale or like you know if it's gonna fall apart kind of thing um <clears throat> but yeah i was very suspicious at first because i was like you guys are really nice and i don't know whether that's like authentic nice turns out it is authentic nice they are just like sweethearts um but i've run into so many other galleries where i'm just like that's the idea of a gallery that i had in my head before I started working with my current gallery. Um, I think I would like to work with another gallery on top of this one. I think I have to just survive this year first to <laughs> see if that's possible. Because yeah, my gallery was saying, he was like, I really want you to take on another gallery as well. But he was like, Dom, you have to realize that means you'll automatically have another show to do with them like a year like or every two years and then you probably have to do two more art fairs on top of what you're already doing on top of like your institutional shows and stuff and I was like that's a very good point <laughs> but uh yeah I, th I think for me it's really important to work with someone who understands that the work is difficult and that it's not always going to be sellable um and they they do that really well yeah it's something that we're kind of growing together with which is really nice yeah and i feel like that brings into like question this whole idea of like what is sellable work anyways and like mm. as long as you have as long as you kind of are able to like clearly communicate what the work is but but also i think it's like we we need to expand what we consider as like work as well i mean sh sure like the i'd say like probably 80 percent of galleries do want you to make a certain type of work whether that fits into like sculpture painting drawings or whatever or video work you know like that there's a very certain uh criteria um but like even things like i don't know drawings for like preparing for sculptures or like you know sketchbooks or I don't know, like, yeah, all, all these, like, kind of things that are usually hidden from, from like, the work or from the shows, I think, are also considered. But, like, you obviously don't have to expand it to that, but I think it's, uh, yeah, we need to broaden that understanding that it doesn't only have to be the finished object. It can be, like, I don't know, the, the, the first version of that object that doesn't leave the studio or usually gets destroyed or something. Or, like, yeah, maybe... Maybe you do make, yeah, these smaller maquettes for, I mean, this is something that we've started uh, talking about because he's like, yeah, sure, Dom, you can keep making these seven, eight, nine meter works, but like you have to think about where the hell are they going to be stored? Or are you going to destroy them? And then like, what happens with that? And like, how sustainable is that? You know, you can't, you, you like, you're essentially going to burn out if you keep doing this, especially, um, just by yourself and it's like yes these are all very good points I just don't want to hear them <laughs> but um yeah I think yeah I do think part of it is essentially like the discourse that you frame the work with because if you say yeah it's supposed to destroy itself I think it is about finding a collector or like a museum that can like take that that can understand that uh, it's, it's rare but yeah it's possible wait so where are you <laughs> like are you 
still doing the triangle residency or like and do you have a studio what's your studio where do you where are you living now so this by me is like my this is my apartment so this apartment has my name on it oh my god um, that's so exciting how long have yeah. you been, how long have you been there for i didn't properly move in until like the second week of november so i've been here for yeah, like two and a bit months so the residency was extended so originally it was july to the end of october and then they were really kind to just automatically extend it until the end of january because they were like look we know that you need the space and it'd be really exciting to keep you here but i don't have a permanent studio anymore like technically i do but it's in london and i have no plans to come back to london to like live like my tax number and stuff are now in france yeah do you um through the studios and trying with triangle have you been able to like well i guess also through the residency you've been able to meet people and like other artists and like be in a larger community of artists there yeah which is why like uh, my stay in marseille so far has been like really kind of seamless uh yeah because i have like a community of friends here who are like curators artists or like writers or uh kind of in the creative or like cultural sphere um more it's probably better to say um who i met yeah i I guess like through the residency like some kind of came for a studio visit in like my first like couple weeks there and then we ended up you know becoming friends or like yeah they're like friends of their them friends or like i went to like parties back in summer or like you know i'd kind of uh end up in the bar with a bunch of people so like yeah there's this really nice mix of I think literally everyone I've met isn't actually from Marseille. They're from other parts of France or other parts of the world. Um, yeah, Marseille definitely has that energy of like a lost souls kind of <laughs> coming together. But yeah, so it, that's why, yeah, I feel happy to be here. And it's not, uh, I mean, yeah, sure, I miss London. But yeah, it's made my stay here a lot easier. But it's nice. It's very pretty. Oh, that makes me happy. Like, why did you decide to move there? I mean, some of that was from the ease of doing the residency for a couple of months. Um, So, like, I came to Marseille for the first time back in, when I did Asurama in 2019, and I thought, oh, okay, this is a pretty cool city. Because I think by that point, I knew that I was doing the residency at Triangle. I think I found out, like, the month before or something. Um... And I obviously knew with Brexit coming and it's the kind of thing where I'd like been doing calculations and I, I knew that financially like London was not going to be getting any easier. Um, like for example, like I needed a bigger studio and it's like to get a bigger studio was, was going to be like, like four or five hundred pounds plus like the price of a room. So like I was already going to be spending what, like twelve, thirteen hundred. And that was before the rent was going up on my studio. So that probably would have been more like six, seven. Um, so I was like, okay, I need to find an alternative. And yeah, this made a lot of sense. Cause also it's like, you can get a train to Milan straight from Marseille for like 35 euros. And, you know, living next to the sea. I don't know, France has always made sense. Like it's the language that I can speak and something I've always wanted to do since I was younger um and it just kind of felt right and then obviously 
I let go of everything in just before I went to Chile last year. Like I let go of my room and everything. So it was kind of like simultaneously lucky but traumatizing, and it just kind of felt right to make that jump because uh, the thought of like going back to London to rent a space was like no, <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, because the 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 rent I pay for here, I think is what is that in pounds? I think it's probably like five hundred and twenty pounds or something for my apartment here. That makes yeah, that makes me happy for you and like super jealous. I mean, London's really difficult. Like, I was kind, I already like before the pandemic didn't see people for months just because I was working so much and um but when when we got pizza I remember talking to you about how you were like done with London and specifically about how like you like weren't showing in London so like I feel like the question that I'm trying to ask is just like what's the point of London and like (laughs) and also like it seems like it was obviously the right decision for you to move. I mean, I'm in a very particular position and like a very privileged position, uh, both like actually for me and from people looking from the outside. It's like I managed to get to a point in my career when I could actually make this possible. Like I don't have to freak out about having four jobs because my rent is yeah fucking five hundred pounds. <laughs> I'm not. I don't have a studio at the moment, which uh, saves a lot of stress and I don't have to pay for an oyster card but like for real I I don't know what the point in London is right now really like um and this is also like from having conversations with uh people that I'm supposed to be working with in Europe for example with Brexit they're like we don't actually know how to move your work things like that are problems that we I hadn't even thought about pre-Brexit for me I was just tired of London because you know it made me into a very hard cold person because yeah I was working all the time I think the art scene is pretty brutal in London you know like working two or three jobs on top of having a practice uh like having to schedule to see your friends like that isn't something that I've had to do in Marseille yet like the most scheduling that I've had to do is now since like you know we have a 6 p.m curfew like you have to plan stuff a bit more because of like yeah trying to navigate that is, is a bit hard when you're working but you know other than that you go, you just like ring up your mate, like, do you want to go for a coffee or do you want to come over for dinner tonight kind of thing? It's not, oh, in two weeks, do you want to drink one glass of 10 pound wine <laughs> in the pub that's like two hours from us, but it's a pub that we like kind of thing. It's, uh, I, I don't miss that way of living, um, nor, nor the pace. I don't really know how I did it uh, on top of like doing all of these other things. I mean, Marseille has a different, has also has a chaotic pace, but it's not that kind of rat race, like New York, Paris, uh, like the major city pace. But like, yeah, when you throw Brexit into the mix, I'm just like, oh God, like, I really don't know what the point of it is anymore. Because, um, I mean, this is what I would be explaining to Eva, it's like there's so many other cities that can offer so much more security or like a better way of living. But also, like, after the pandemic, I'm really into the idea of decentralising from these major cities. Like, I I really don't see the point in them anymore. Maybe if you're more of, like, a younger emerging artist. I mean, I am a young emerging artist, but I mean, like, you know, like, fresh out of uni. 
I understand the desire to be in those major cities, but I think as a older artist, yeah, fuck me. <laughs> I really can't, yeah, grasp what why these cities should be deemed important anymore. Yeah, I feel like it is a privilege of like being further along in your career that you are able to like detach from a place. And I mean, of course, it seems like COVID has just like thrown all of that. <sighs> like, I feel like it's such a, such a large question to think about what the art world is now um, mm. and like how to kind of prepare to like make the most out of it, whatever yeah. it ends up being or something or whatever it is now and then changes into or something. Whereas it seemed like before the art world was like enough of a stable thing to grasp that it was like, okay, I'll stay in the city where I like network and I go to galleries and I like meet people and then they give me these opportunities or whatever. I mean, like, who knows if any of that's actually true or not, but at least it's like a consistent narrative that yeah. seems like it's applicable to like whatever situation you're in. Um, but yeah, like, I just don't like... I do think it's possible to decentralize, but it worries me. One question that I definitely wanted to ask you was about like when you decided to, and this is simplified in my mind because I, you know, I don't know the logistics of it, but when did you decide to like quit all other jobs and then just like focus entirely on your work? And like, when are you able to, I don't know, start to like, yeah, live a different kind of life inside of this career? I only, I only ended up doing that when I was certain that my like art schedule and art like income was like greater than like my day job. And I also then simplified all of my expenses. I mean, that's the reason why right now I am not looking for a studio because it's like I also needed to simplify my expenses again to ensure that I can actually survive on the income that I'm taking. And that's like an income that has now been like shaken by COVID, but is still sustainable. Um, but yeah, that was literally the, the decision. It was like a, a risky jump, essentially. It was back when I did a, I think it was a residency I did in Italy in 2019 for like a month. But then straight after that, I was like producing work for like another month in Italy. There were all these things. And I was just like, there's no way that I can hold down like a gallery job in London with this. Like I'd already proposed to HR like, hey, look, if I do this, can I like come back and work sporadically or whatever? They said no. So I was like, okay. So... Yeah, I was like, so I really have to make this decision now. I think it was like, I'd, I'd asked that in like February or something and I was like due to leave in June. So, okay, so I have to make this decision now. So yeah, saved up a bunch of money and just kind of made that jump. But that's what I mean about it being like a, a thing of privilege because yeah, not everyone can just do that. And I was very thankful to be that busy that, that year. And also I had the backing of the gallery um which helps I mean it's not like I'm I'd love to be paid like a monthly wage by the gallery but there's always that like kind of support there like we had that conversation where I, I, I said to him I was like you know like I, I've calculated all of my income this year from shows and whatever and like from selling work 
but like there can be some sticky points like say if I don't get paid by this invoice for like six months like what happens then kind of thing or you know like uh, when I do eventually look for a studio like is there any support there initially that you can then recuperate in a different way like it's almost like having another parent kind of thing but yeah it, yeah for me it was about taking a big risk and just uh, doing that jump because now it's like even I, I still have like small things like talks and uh, artist talks and um, kind of like small shows that I don't really have to give so much energy to that pay as well as like the institutional shows and uh, whatnot. So yeah, I'm one of those people that really, really goes with their gut and it felt really right at that moment to do that. It doesn't mean that I'm very secure now, like next year, who knows? <laughs> who knows how that will pan out? I'm going through a bit of an existential crisis at the moment. And mm-hmm. so I'm so this is just entirely me projecting. Um so feel free to not answer any of these questions. But like are you ever like fuck simplifying my expenses? Like I want a couch, you know, <laughs> or like like I want to live alone, you know, and and I guess in that way, right? Like what does that mean to maybe have to move cities to be able to have those things? And to, like, what kind of sacrifice is related to simplifying your expenses? And, like, when is it worth it? And when is it, like, not worth it? And and also, like, do you ever just get tired of, like, being okay for the next year, but, like, not necessarily knowing that, like, it'll be okay next year, too? I I think that's a tricky one to answer because it's like if you'd asked me that at the beginning of 2020 I think I would have a different answer for you I think now that things have been shaken up and are so uncertain it's I I think me having an uncertainty about next year is partially because I've chosen to be an artist but is partially because like like the whole of Europe and the US is in recession right now so it's like that kind of realization that we're not quite in the swinging 20s just yet we have to <laughs> wait a couple of years for that to emerge so I'm like fuck um yeah I mean I do get tired of simplifying my expenses but at the same time it's like I bought that couch from made like I bought that couch with the idea that I'm not gonna buy a shitty couch that costs 200 euros because it's it's cheap and quick I was like I'm gonna buy like a it's not like it's not like it's a grand, but I, I think it was like what five hundred and fifty. So I'm gonna buy a nice, comfy fucking sofa out of this paycheck that I just got because I want some comfort and I want some nice shit in my life. I'm gonna buy this fucking thickest tree because I want a fucking tree in my flat. I wanna, I, I'm gonna rent this one bed apartment instead of renting this like twenty square meter studio because I want some space that I can call my own kind of thing. I'm gonna rent it unfurnished because I want to furnish it with stuff that I've always wanted kind of thing. And that was the sacrifice for leaving London, for leaving that network, for leaving my friends, for leaving that almost that, I don't know, this sounds like really uh, like, like a paradox, but almost like leaving that financial security because I knew at any given moment I could take on two bar jobs and a gallery job if I really wanted to. I mean, Marseille, I can't take on a bar job because they've been shut since October. So like... <laughs> You know, like, yeah, there's those things to balance out. But at the same time, it's like the rent I was paying in the UK was 
way lower than what it should have been and now that opportunity is gone I'm now seeing my friends scramble for like an affordable room like that's the mad thing it's like I know that this apartment in its entirety is cheaper than a double room in zone three London in a house share of four people I just yeah I didn't I didn't really want to be in my 30s still with that insecurity um like here this is what I mean about like other cities or other countries having different like types of security or different uh things to offer I know I had this apartment for three years and like for him to like my landlord to get me out it's it's like very very hard I mean I can leave pretty much whenever I want but I know I have that security for three years if I'd like um yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I do. I, of course I get tired of simplifying expenses but I do also treat myself every now and again um like when this I just sent off an invoice this morning when that hits I'm fucking buying myself a coffee table I'm buying myself some nice fucking dress like I came back from uh Florence with like two bottles of grappa that cost like 25 euros each I was like hell like I'm going to treat myself. I don't give a shit. So, like, I have that kind of balance. But at the same time, I'm not also willing to be paying for, like, a fucking £700 studio uh, on top of my rent. You know, there's things that I, yeah, balance out. And I've also said, like, I, I won't feel comfortable doing that until I start earning, like, more than 30k as a base minimum. I don't want it to be, like, I've spent my whole paycheck every time one thing that i do wonder about is because i remember talking to you about writing this proposal and i mean i think your work is like what i've seen like is quite grand you know even though i haven't seen it in person unfortunately um which seems important um to the work but uh it seems very grand and i just wonder like um you know like at lacma like um Chris Burden has like these two huge sculptures but also like he's the same dude who like asked his friend to shoot him you know so like when is the point in which you can begin to think bigger mm -hmm. um and begin to think about resources that you like don't have yet and like how much that's tied to or not tied to like your present feelings of scarcity or, you know, of like having to kind of work within your means? It's a good question, but I think it's because I look at it from a different perspective in, in regards to like the, the scale of the work is like integral to the practice, but also the budgeting of the work varies a lot. Uh, because technically the metal aspect tends to be the most expensive aspect of the work. So are the like silicone molds. I can easily drop like a grand uh, on silicone, which is extremely painful. Um, but I think in the beginning, it's like, it's not, bluffing isn't the right word. I think it's all, uh, I think part of it is actually just always about asking for more. Like if it, say this is in the context of like doing a show with someone, it's, it's always knowing exactly, exactly how much, your work costs to make yeah I always fund things from certain projects that can be used for other projects so that's how I keep always like building larger and larger and larger so like I I will be probably making like I don't know like 15 fucking 
huge silicone molds this year, which will then be like integral to my practice for my studio in that I can then experiment with the these works or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't really know how to answer that other than like the budgets have just been slowly increasing with time kind of thing, but also like finding producers who work within those budgets that do what you want or do what you need. Yeah, that's a tricky one because also it doesn't always work out. Yeah, it's like one of the biggest institutional shows that I'm about to do. Well, first of all, they won't tell me what the budget for the work is because it's part of a group show. And second of all, they've just basically said what I've proposed to do is like virtually impossible um, because it's like takes too much labour and it's like too complicated for their in-house production team to make. Um, so it's like trying to then navigate that. This is why I'm like very tired this winter takes. I'm like trying to like juggle several things this week. Um, so then trying to make this work the way that it should be made is actually now becoming so much more work than it needs to be. Um, and trying to keep it within budget is another thing that, if you don't tell me the budget, how can I keep it in budget? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not always as straightforward as it may look. Um, that's probably what I'm, it, it boils down to. So, yeah. But I always like to dream big and then have to scale back after as opposed to try and do it the other way around. Um, so. You should sew that onto a pillow or something. That's great <laughs> advice. <laughs> um, I need to think that way. Okay, I want to ask you something that you do not need to answer. <laughs> okay. But it's something that I'm wondering about. Um, mm -hmm. Like, and so I'm just kind of interested in, like, how, like, you know, in the first couple sentences of your artist statement, like, how you're very clear about, yeah, like, Black subjectivity, Afro-pessimism, like, you know, Black diaspora, Afrofuturism. And I mean, it makes sense, obviously, with your work, like you can see it clearly as like, you know, yeah, the set of materials and the set of like historical concerns and, you know, but like, do you ever feel like how, what's your relationship to blackness in your work? I don't know. It just seems like this thing that I constantly have to think about how I'm going to play it. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe that's because it's not like as kind of integrated into my work? I think that's, but it, it depends on th that current situation. Depends, I'm, I'm quite impatient when it comes to speaking about these things. So if I feel like someone is like taking up too much space or too much of my energy, I just shut down. I'm like, look, I don't give a shit. Because also I feel like it has to be really explicit in that statement because I don't want white folks to get twisted and think about their themselves in this future. Like, I get really annoyed when they start using the word we because I'm like, no, 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 take that, take yourself out, sit, sit down, be quiet. Like, there is no we in this future. Um, yeah, I feel like I have to be explicit in that sense. But then also I do switch and, and talk about futurity in general or accelerationism kind of thing. Or, yeah, speak about politics in a more, like, generalised, like, non-racial way, even though I think it's quite hard to speak up politics in a non-racial way but anyway <laughs> I have like yeah I have varying levels to like my patience as to like how much I will reveal or how much I will like give um to people for sure yeah I don't, I don't really have like a set criteria of when I will speak about 
x or when I want to speak about z. Yeah, it, it depends on how much energy I want to give, pretty much. I don't think there's a set way of, yeah, speaking about work or... Depends on how you want to frame it in that particular time. Yeah, or whether you think it's important to also just reveal... Uh, if you literally sometimes I'm literally like this work is about like abolition and it is about like destroying everything and it is about a very certain vision of like black futurity and then when people will ask like oh can you expand on this no that's it <laughs> sometimes that's enough I don't know how to talk about my work yet in French so some of the language doesn't actually even exist in French. It's really, really interesting because the main discourse around, like, ab imagine, like, abolition, not so much, but, like, um, like, Afro-pessimism, for example, or, uh, well, black celebrationism is actually a very Anglo-British-American discourse uh, that hasn't really been translated so well yet into other languages. Um, or like, yeah, the, the discourse doesn't really exist. Um, well, it does, but like, it's not in the mainstream kind of thing. Uh, France is a very weird place to have racialized work, essentially. It's a very like utopian country that is really fucked up. Like, I remember listening to this one, I think like This American Life about this one African-American woman who was living in France who like could speak without like an accent, but put on an American accent because she knew she would be like treated better. It's like yeah. a black person. This is like the fascinating part of like living in a different place. It's obviously yeah. also like the really difficult part. <laughs> yeah, right. Like to me, from me to you, I could be like, oh, that's interesting. Like that'll have an interesting effect on your work, you know, even though like <laughs> obviously like you have to do all the hard work um, with all of that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting, but I'm stubborn enough to like kind of not let it affect my work because even actually within uh, the black community in France, there is this weird utopian vision of like post-race kind of bullshit or like post-blackness uh, that is happening, which is really bizarre. I don't know, I feel, I feel like it's a, it's, a, it's a very like loose uh, subject to understand. And the only way that I've been able to like read it is through the guise of like post-blackness, which is something that I, I fully, I can't get behind because I think it implies that blackness is like uh, like a, a solid thing that it has like one identity as you were just saying but I think that's how I perhaps like read it in France for example like when I do speak to black French folks who are like yeah we purpose it don't make work about blackness because of x y and z and I'm like but none of in my opinion none of those are like valid reasons not to make work about blackness um but, and like the yeah, I mean ugh, that's a whole different discussion actually. <laughs> like fuck, it's so messy sometimes. But um, yeah, that's the that's the way that I kind of try and. So I know that's also a discourse that is starting to happen in London, which I don't know. Yeah, I really don't like it. <laughs> I have a big problem with the idea of post blackness. Yeah, I remember when Obama got elected, people were like, post-black, and it's just like, what? <laughs> I'm like, did you just forget, like, all of the threats he had because he is black? Like, <laughs> what are we even talking about? Yeah, um, yeah, it's insane. Um, yeah, I think something I think a lot about being here 
like I'm in this reading group. It's about like queer and post-colonial and like, you know, studying like this stuff that I need to study. And it somehow like devolved really recently into like, let's read about black people from like black American writers. And it's just okay. like this weird. So I feel like something I'm really conscious to being in the UK is just like, yeah, like we're in the, why don't we read some like black British writers or something? Like, why are we like reaching over to the U S like, Mm-mm-mm. I don't understand how, I I don't know. So it's something that I'm really thinking about yeah. um, being here. And I'm really, I think one of the reasons why I'm here is so I can like think through these, these things. I wonder if it's because like, particularly in the UK, blackness is so, so fragmented in terms of like uh, migration, as opposed to like how people view America as like, obviously it's not all just like one uh, history and like people have migrated at different points, but that is like the majority of the discussion is obviously around like the the wake of slavery. Whereas in the UK, it's like Windrush and then you have a lot of Nigerians, a lot of Ghanaians, and then it's like other within that, within that tiny percentage of the population already. Because I think like what black folks are like, fucking like 3% of the population. Uh, there are obviously other like nationalities and stuff, but it's a different. Yeah, there's, I think maybe there's like too many different histories that so that you can't really speak in a united way. Not that like you would speak in a united way, but uh, yeah, it's a bit weird. I think. Do you have any questions for me? But then also, is there something in in this conversation that you thought we would talk about that we haven't talked about? No, I feel like, I feel like, yeah, we've covered what I kind of expected, yeah. Is there anything that you feel like we haven't covered, or? I mean, I feel like I just want, like, a breakdown of, like, what are you doing? But then also, that's also just, like, a thing that I want as a friend. I don't know, I'm really excited for you. Thank you. Bye, have a nice day. You too. Bye. Epilogue. On the 15th of January, 2022, Dominique wrote this to me. Since our discussion, I perhaps wanted to highlight that I have never recovered from the fatigue nor the disillusionment that you could feel in my voice. I worked myself to the bone throughout 2021, culminating in several burnouts, some more debilitating than others, and I feel that very few people allowed space for recovery. The thinnest silver lining from 2021 is that I have earned enough money to continue making Marseille my home, filling my apartment with plants and closing in on a more stable space to work in the city. I traveled a lot throughout the year, producing in different cities, falling out of old habits, and most importantly, spending a lot of time alone. And by the time I managed to re-enter the UK in November, there was the sudden realization that I hold the memories of the UK dearer than the reality. I think I'd known this for a long time, I was struggling to survive in London, choosing to juggle an art practice with three jobs, and I knew that sustainability of that reality was running out fast. I think I needed to be reminded that the UK will never give a shit about me. I've had this conversation with many unrelated folks, but honestly, fuck it. It's time to claim another passport, perhaps Jamaica or St. Lucia, before Pretty Patel decides that I'm finally not British enough, even though I'm cursed or perhaps branded with the surname of their legacy. 
I've seen that shift in my practice too. These bodies or forms or whatever you'd like to call them no longer hang in a static capture or escape. It's not this ambiguous limbo. I'm not quite sure what triggered it, but they're seeking revenge. I'm seeking revenge. If you're interested in hearing more excerpts from conversations I've had with people in the arts over the years, head over to the website, thisthingwecallart.com. This podcast was funded by the Arts Council England, ArtQuest, The Game Trust, and Tilla Studios. If you'd like to help make the next season of this podcast a reality, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on iTunes, becoming a Patreon member, or donating through the PayPal link on the project's website. The logo was designed by Eva Duerden. The episode artwork was created by Fiona Riley, and the theme song was made by Alessandra Moroni. This podcast was produced by me, your host, Kelly Lloyd. Thanks so much for listening, and tune in next week for my conversation with Gregory Bay.